Well, thank you for those nice words there, Tyler. Um, I kind of like you too. And I like you guys. It's a, this, is, this is one of my favorite places to come and visit because you guys are wonderful. And part of the reason that I'm talking to you about CAP today is because since the last time I was here, there were some new faces. And, um, and maybe you don't know anything about CAP, so you're going to get it today. And those of you who have heard all this before, try not to snore too bad for the rest of them while, while you're listening to me. Uh, if you guys could put up that first slide, that'd be great. CAP is a community mission, as, as Tyler said. It was founded a number of years by a group of pastors in town. Actually, they, were, they had formed a, um, what they called Peace Arch uh, Pastoral Association, Ministerial Association, and they, they formed CAP because they found that living in the Northwest County, part of the county, people were far enough away from sort of the secular help um, that was that's available in Bellingham. People in Blaine oftentimes were stuck and they would come to churches, knock on their door and, and ask for help for a variety of things. So all kinds of benevolence needs in the, in the north part of the county here. So they, they created this thing called Community Assistance Program. When the ministerial disbanded in 2012, they wanted CAP to continue, so it spun off as its own uh, then in 2012. We've been, we are independent, we are our own 501c3, but we feel, actually we, we, we are a church equivalent, and we feel connected with the whole church body, the Big C Church in Blaine. That's who we serve. Um, we do, what we do is we, uh, our, our, our goal here is to provide opportunities to help, bless, and advance the kingdom. People who need, there are a significant number of people in our community who have needs. Sometimes they're temporary needs, sometimes they're more routine needs, but there are people who have needs in our, our community, and, and we believe that the church is what, who God appointed to be the most heavily involved with helping people that have needs in our community. And um, we can't meet all the needs. There are some, some things that we have to refer to other agencies and things like that, but, but our goal is to be the face, the hands and the feet, as Tyler said, the hands and the feet of Christ, and we're the primary ones that have the responsibility to be kind of the first point of contact with people who have needs. Sometimes um, we, we can't do much to help. We, we do primarily, CAP does primarily physical needs. Some of them are, are blessings as well, and I'll talk a little bit about that when I talk about the individual programs. Um, but the big differential for us is it is the opportunity for God's people, for you and me, um, and I am, I am doing a little bit of fishing for volunteers today, but not too bad. <laughs> Considering what you got in front of you, which I'm going to comment on a little bit later on, um, I'm not going to hit you too heavy with trying to, to, trying to recruit you. <clears throat> but um, uh, the whole idea is we, it's a community serving the community. We, we, we consider Blaine, Birch Bay, Custer, and a little bit of uh, Point Roberts sometimes, as, as our parish, if you will, that's the area that we serve, Any, anybody who lives in those, in those three areas. Um, so that the, when I said the hands and the feet, putting, putting believers in proximity to people who have needs is, is the goal. And we are not a uh, evangelistic organization per se. So the way that this works is um, the way the, the title I use is not friendship evangelism, but it is proximity evangelism. When you have the opportunity to be in proximity, helping people is, is why I think Jesus points us in this direction. Um, we have the opportunity to build a little bit of relationship so that our conversations about faith and about Jesus and about the gospel can be a normal part of our communication with people, our normal discourse, if you will, as people who know each other. We think that there's power in that. There's power in proximity. So our goal is to try and 
put you and put other believers in proximity to non-believers. Not everybody we help is a non-believer. There are lots of people who are, who are believers that, that can have crisis in their life. Uh, so anyway, um, you guys can put the, the next slide up there, if you will, the scripture. Um, when, the, when the pastors just put this together, one of the few theological things I could agree upon was, was what Jesus said here in Matthew 25, um, specifically verse 40 here. And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And of course, if you're familiar with that story, you know this is where Jesus said, when I come back, because his disciples had asked him, this whole Olivet discourse, if you're familiar with that, his disciples had asked him, what's going to be a sign of your coming? What's it going to be like when you return? And Jesus spent two chapters talking about that. And, and then he, he completes this, this story by saying, for when I, when he comes back, you know, welcome, you know, receive the kingdom, which is your inheritance, because when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I needed clothing, you gave me something to wear. When I was sick, you ministered to me. And when I was in prison, you came and visited me. And, in, and of course, in Jesus' day, and in many parts of the world today, those things are life and death situations for people. So Jesus was saying, if you know me, then you will understand how much I relate to people in these conditions. People, and, and of course you can throw widows and orphans in there too if you want to. How much, I, I relate to them so much that when you do something for them, it's, you're doing something for me. So it's an actual act of worship for us. Isn't it? <clears throat> um, so, with that in mind, then, okay, how, do, how does that all trans translate to our, our time here in the United States? What's, what's the context that we, we operate under with, when you consider those six things that Jesus mentioned? Well, to us, the context is people experiencing poverty, people experiencing crisis, and people who are experiencing marginalization. And what I mean by that is, for whatever reason, they don't have the same opportunities or the same access that most of us have. So that's the, that's the reason that we do this. It is a cooperative effort, and there's another aspect of this. Um, uh, well, let me back up the truck here a little bit. So I, I already mentioned that, that um, I believe that Jesus points us in this direction specifically because he wants us to be the initiators, the leaders, as well as when we can serve. So to be, to be servants for sure, but wants us to feel the responsibility for our communities to lead us up rather than turn it over to, to the world. The world has got systems, and I don't want to put that stuff down. It's, it's good and necessary because, quite frankly, the needs in the community are greater than the church has been able to do it on its own. Um, we, we've needed the help from government agencies and stuff to care for people properly in this country. But we should still be the ones that, that lead and initiate that. <clears throat> Because of that, and because of um, the, the leadership aspect of this and the influencing aspect of this, trying to influence the community, and we, we welcome non-believers to volunteer. We're a, totally a volunteer organization, everything about us. That's one of the, one of the things that's unique. Actually, we are, total, we are totally unique, certainly unique in the county for any other kind of help programs like this. Um, and we, we have a unique unity between churches for this. We have a unique situation with some non-believing volunteers because one of the things that, and, I've, and it's, it's, I've verified it many, many times, 
God is touching people all the time. He touched all your hearts before you become believers. And, and we believe that if somebody in the community who, 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 is not, who doesn't know Jesus is being, their heart's being ticked a little bit to be generous, to be kind, to want to help people, we want to pay attention to that. That's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to witness. That's an opportunity when we talk about evangelism. So part of the ministry that we have is so we have, we have ministry towards people who have the need. We have ministry towards non-believers that, that we work with, that we can disciple. We can disciple into the kingdom. And then we also have that same relationship with or opportunity with donors. There's quite a few donors in the community that aren't part of any church. The church supplies about a third of all of the needs that we, that we have, or all the resources that we dispense is a way to say it. It's not, it's not us. We don't, we don't need it. We're just given what we receive. But about a third of all the stuff that we distribute comes from the churches directly. And you guys are a big, big part of that. Thank you very much. Um, but the rest of it comes from individuals and sometimes companies that want to be part of doing a good thing in the community. So we partner with um, f folks like that. Now, we don't, we don't compromise who we are. We are a faith-based, church-based, Christ-based uh, philosophy here. And, but if people aren't hostile to us, if not hostile to the kingdom, we welcome them to come and, and participate with the anticipation of, of discipling. Jesus told us to go and be disciple to the nations, and that's what we intend to do here. And I'll tell you, how, how many of you live in Simiamo? Not, not one? <clears throat> so one of the things that I've discovered. Now, I've been a believer in Blaine here for a long time, in you know, um, part of church life for for many many years. And, and one of the things w w that was always a little bit of a um, a question or a struggle for s some of us in in church is how do we interact with gated communities? Um, gated communities, the way that they function is you have to be invited in, or they come out. And, um, and there's, there's lots of good folk in gated communities. I don't want you to give the wrong impression here. But the point is, is that oftentimes organizations like ours gives us people inside the gates an opportunity to come out, and we have then an opportunity to disciple them where, where we would, might not have if it wasn't for a situation like this. A lot of our donors are people that live in Semiamo and, and Birch Bay too, behind gates. One of the unique things about Blaine and Birch Bay is about a third, actually, yes, at least a, a clear third, a third of the people live behind gates. And that is unique in Whatcom County. I don't know about the rest. There isn't any other town in Whatcom County that has nearly that population that, that lives like, and I'm not saying it's bad, I'm just saying it's different and it's unique. And that's why there's no church building in most of those gated communities is because they want to be in control of their, of their neighborhoods. So I'm saying all that not to put anybody down. Don't misunderstand me. But the opportunities that, come with, that have come with CAP have been extraordinary to get people to participate. Um, okay. Uh, So uh, let's talk some about the programs specifically. Well, I already said that we're, we're an all-volunteer organization. We don't take any government funding. That's another thing you might be interested in. We, we do believe entirely that it's the community's responsibility to take care of the community. And I think that's why we've been su so successful for so many years is that um, we, that's what we promote. So we, we don't go looking for money in every place we can find it. We don't apply for a lot of grants. People tell me all the time, you might be missing out on some grant money, and maybe so. There's no doubt about that. Oftentimes, there's strings attached with, with 
government money. The point being, though, is that as soon as we do that, we're no longer differentiated between every other agency that helps people. I don't want us to, I don't want us to be related to other agencies in Bellingham that, that that's all they do is, is distribute government money. I want us to be differential, like the church is differential. I want the, the people that live in this community to care enough about other people to make this happen. Now, that doesn't mean we don't ever, we don't ever, like I said, don't send people to places that we can't help. Uh, actually, about a third of our operation is referrals because we can't help in every case. There's a few things we don't help with. We don't help with, with rent, and we don't help with things like fines and, and, and stuff like that, legal fees. But there's quite a, quite a bit, quite a bit of, of other things that we do. And I'm going to talk about them now. If you want to put up that last slide. with, <clears throat> So um, I'm not going to talk about this in the order that they're in for a reason um, that I'll get to. But the first thing I want to talk about is the first program which we just got finished doing, and Amy Nelson was the one who leads that up. She's the director of that program called our, our Coat Drive, and you guys probably are familiar with that. We collect coats. We gave out 350 of them. We collected 450. We gave out 350, and then we've, we've donated some to another charity, and we keep some for, for through the winter. Um, and believe it or not, people do need coats. We live, we live at a time where most of us are running around with jackets. Uh, I see kids and people, you know, not even believing it's winter around here. But there are people who, who do need coats desperately. And there are people who, who actually need to sleep in their coats. And there are people whose, whose coats get so ragged so fast that they need a new coat every year. I had one person ask me one time, how come, we, how come you do this every year? People don't, don't change out their coats that often. And I said, I don't know how often people change out the coats. I don't change out very, very often, but I know that people need coats often. So it's a, it's a blessing thing we, we do. So we just finished that up. We do seasonal stuff. There's three programs that are seasonal. That's one of them. The second one we're doing, uh, just processing right now, and that is our Thanksgiving basket program. <clears throat> um, that is where we, we create a complete meal, turkey and the whole, all the fixings to, for families, typically whose families, and it is for families, it's not for individuals because, um, or couples, because of the, the nature of, it's hard to buy a pretty small part of a turkey to serve in this kind of situation, so it is families. <clears throat> we typically hand out about 250 of those, 250 of those boxes, and it's to families that normally they would qualify for free or reduced lunch at the school, and that's kind of, we do vet them to, to see if what their need is. <coughs> um, it, 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 it's, uh, we, it takes about a, a uh, a half a week to put everything together and then we distribute it all in one day. It is kind of a light touch as far as the ability to interact with the people um, because it's such a fast tran transaction. But I'll tell you that I have had people that have come to me Thank, thank the thankfulness. There's people in tears. They're they're thankful for getting these dinners because they they would not celebrate Thanksgiving at all if they didn't have this opportunity. But people have come to me in tears and said how thankful they were. And they actually have what they say: we could not celebrate Thanksgiving. And they want to thank. They want to celebrate Thanksgiving. They want to they want to be thankful and, and do that. Um, um, and they've, and, and they've been in tears, they've come to me and, and, and thankful about that. I've had people who received years ago and have, have come up to me and said, I want to donate to this, and I want, I've, I've donated every year since we received. We were, we were experiencing hard times, and we were able to get a dinner and, and actually have something to be thankful for. 
So this is the one, this is the program though, that one of the two programs where we don't have any problem getting volunteers. People love to volunteer for this, but we do have a big need right now. The, the gal who's been, who's been the director of this for a while, she's actually been part of this for 20 years when this started. Uh, 20 years ago. She is retiring this this year, so we do need somebody to take over kind of overseeing that program and um, as, as a director. It's, it's a pretty low bar time-wise because it only really heats up just before Thanksgiving and there is some ordering of stuff and all that and then a couple of days of putting it all together. So if any of you might be um, interested in that, it, it, it would be a perfect thing for a couple to do, it would be a perfect thing for a small group to do, and it's, you know, like I say, it's got a limited time commitment, and it is a pretty, it touches about 1,200 people. Those, those, those um, baskets feed about 1,200 people on Thanksgiving, and a, most, and a lot of them would not be doing that if they didn't have that. And we put in, because we have such a light touch with our, our personal interaction with these folks, we put in um, a message in the box. We talk about Thanksgiving, why, we, why we're thankful and who we're thankful to. So we do get an opportunity to speak into people's lives in that way. The third thing that we do seasonally is the toy store. And you guys have been big players in the, in the toy store um, in the past. That is unique. Some of you might be familiar with things like the giving trees and things like that have been around for a long time. This program is differential to that on purpose. Uh, not, not that there's anything wrong with, with giving trees. They, they, they do a, a, a useful thing. The, our toy store is different in that the toys are purchased and given, donated to us with the price tags on and we mark them down 20, 25 cents on the dollar so people can, can shop, you know, their dollar goes a long, a long ways. And, and people can sign up for that, families can sign up for that kind of the same way, the same population that, <clears throat> that has kids that, that qualify for free and reduced lunch are ones who can take advantage of this. And there, there are a few others that we have. Um, once again, about 200, well, almost 300 kids get, get gifts of this, but the thing that makes it un unique is that the parents actually get to do the shopping. Um, you, can, you can just see the difference between the parents being in a hard place, being able to do this, that they, they just rejoice. I mean, you got, you got some of you who've done it, done it before, You've been part of, uh, we've, we've been doing this for now for three or four years, and you've always had a team that was part of that. <coughs> um, you can see it, you can see it, you, you can experience it with the, the people's thank, thankfulness. It's a dignity enhancing program, that's the distinctive here. When you empower parents to be able to make these decisions, give them a break, and then of course everything that they, everything that they pay us, everything that they give us, we redistribute in the community to other charities. We don't keep any of it for ourselves at CAP. Well, one year we did during COVID because we thought we were gonna have um, huge utility bills to help people with. But other than that, we distribute it like we, we gave some to the bridge, we give some to Loads of Love down here um, in, in, in Blaine as well. So one of the things that we tell parents to shop there is not only, I mean, you have an opportunity to give to the community as well. What you're giving us, we're giving to somebody else. So it really, really is a dignity enhancing thing. Um, the, the clothing bank runs all year long. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that. Three days a week. Um, we, we distribute clothes that have been donated to us. We serve about 75 people a week that come in and, and get clothing. And um, once again, it's one of these, it's one of these ministries th that you, we do have opportunity to interact with the people. 
to see understand their story and oftentimes people will come in come in and tell us their story with no prompting and and sometimes it's pretty unbelievable stories of of what they're experiencing so there's great opportunity for interactions there and the community has been very generous in donating in fact so much that we have to purge some to keep it manageable but it's a great recycling program so it's a it's it's a green it's got the green element in there 25 you know a couple years ago we gave 25,000 garments back into the community it was it was pretty pretty fantastic that way anybody and that's open to anybody and that's we're the only clothing bank in the whole county there are a few other people who have some clothing ministry in a, in association with other things that they do but we're the only ones and it is once again it's for our parish though it's for Blainbridge Bay Custer people um, uh, and then another program that we have that you might be interested in is the food connection program and this is another one that we were approached a couple years ago by the uh, <clears throat> sustainable connections people down in Bellingham saying they come to us and said there's a lot of food a lot of ready-made ready-to-eat food that goes to waste in Whatcom County that that restaurants and people have to throw this stuff out and we, we want to try and, and rescue some of that would you guys be interested in trying to find a way to do that so we we did and this is this is food that has to be consumed either today or tomorrow it was probably it was cooked yesterday or today possibly um, but it needs to be consumed right away it's different than a food the food bank the food bank is typically has shelf stable stuff it might be out of date but it's still it doesn't have to be consumed today this is stuff this is, we're talking about leftover pizzas hot and ready that didn't get sold that didn't get sold yesterday get put in the freezer given to us today and we and we distribute them well we only distribute once a week here um, the bridge out of Birch Bay distributes once a, once a week as well when we partner with the uh, with the um, uh, Miracle Food Network who gathers this stuff in the county and then we help distribute that we have about 35 families that take advantage of that opportunity as well um, so that brings us to kind of the, the last two, the, 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 the crisis assistance program was actually the very first one that CAP did, the, where the pastors were the ones that would vet people and help them financially as best they could before they turned it into this. And so anyway, what we do, that program, when people come to us for help, we, we can help with utilities, all kinds of utilities. We have limits, we have a limit of $300 once a year, and that's, it, it's a soft rule, but we, we, we have limits on how much we can help people. But about 75, 80% of all the help that we do in this program is, is utility type help. Now we do get other things, um, we do get requests for transportation fuel we don't we don't provide rides for anybody or anything like that but sometimes people who have sick children in in Seattle <coughs> or somebody else in Seattle has to go has to go to Seattle regularly for treatments sometimes they can't afford to do that so they'll come and ask for help and so we help people with that and then we we get requests for prescriptions we've we've had all kinds of requests we are not um, we are not a mental health crisis organization. Um, so we're not like a helpline, 24-hour helpline for suicide watch and stuff, and stuff like that. Most everything we do is just physical stuff. However, there are a number of these people, as you can imagine, if they're in these kind of desperate straits, there are um, emotional and spiritual components to that so we do have an opportunity to minister to them 
uh, as well as, as help them. Uh, what more do I want to say about that? We, we get all kinds of requests, and like I said, we do have to refer them to other agencies depending on what, what's going on. One of the things that we do see with increasing frequent frequency, and, and I'm going to talk some more about this in a minute, is people stranded at the border. Um, we've always had, living in Blaine, I, I've lived in Blaine, in Blaine, actually I grew up just a block away from where we're standing, but um, we've always had some number of people who've gotten stranded at the border. They don't, they don't realize that um, just because we travel back and forth so freely because we live in Whatcom County, that if you're gonna spend any time in Canada, you gotta have some resources to do that, and you can't, it's not good enough to say, well, I'm just on my way to Alaska. They won't let you in. And, and oftentimes, they've spent everything that they have to get this far, so they have nothing, no place to go. They don't know anybody, they don't know what to do. Um, increasingly, we are, we are seeing <coughs> Um, uh, asylum seekers that have gotten turned away, and the way, and this is a, a very sad thing, is that oftentimes they come across the southern border, and they go through the process. They get processed. They get their their court date, and then they they get loose to go. the The wait time now to get processed is three years out. It's 2026, so they they're in limbo for three years. They can't even apply to work till they've been until after six months. So, what has happened? A number of them are desperate enough, and up till very recently, Canada, if they if they went across to Canada, Canada would receive them. But Canada changed their their law now and said if you if you declared asylum in the U.S., we will no longer take you. So, people have come up here thinking that maybe they can get into Canada and they can't, they get turned away. And um, so we end up seeing a few of those, an increasing number through this crisis assistance. So the final one here of programs is the chaplain ministry. And we just started that a couple years ago. Monique and Amy are both chaplains for CAP. Um, we started that for a couple of reasons. One is that we found that as we were interacting with these folks that needed help in all the rest of the programs, we would come across situations that were, were complicated or quite desperate, and, and the volunteers working on said, hey, you know, can there's anything else we can do? So they, ref they, ref they can refer or recommend them to chaplains the chaplains will, will assess their situation. And oftentimes they discover that there's other things afoot other than the things that people asked for. Um, so within our organization, we, we, make ref we make referrals to our chaplains. Our chaplains are free, though, to initiate things in the community that they see where they can help. And, and other pastors and other people can dispatch them as well. Um, anyway, and that's, that is a program that, that we're wanting to build, and in a few minutes I'm going to invite you in a big way for chaplaincy. The last thing we do over uh, in, in CAP is we have a CAP Center, an old church building that was donated to us uh, during COVID. So we try to use that center for... Um, for helping the body of Christ serve in, in some manner or another. I mean, we have a couple of our programs that operate out of there, <clears throat> but like right now, the pastor group that Tyler and I are part of, they meet for prayer time every week there. There's been a couple of other people who have had prayer times going on there, and we, we have some education opportunities. You, uh, maybe you noticed You've, you've seen that one of them is we partner with um, Watkin Dream about f financial empowerment. We used to call it financial literacy because as you would imagine, a lot of people that we engage with, one of their issues is they don't have good financial management skills. So we saw this as a, as a, a way to maybe become a little more uh, 
preactive, proactive instead of instead of trying to deal with everybody after the fact. So we've put about 50 to 60 people through that program. We we try to offer it four or five times a year, and we we always get like half a dozen. We had about 15 kids go through it this last summer, uh, teenagers, which is wonderful. <clears throat> um, and then we're at the end of this month, actually next week, next Thursday, we're, we're w once again partnering with um, Whitecomb Dream. We're, she's going to put on a workshop called Poverty Education, Understanding Poverty. And the goal there is there is a gap. Um, we, we see it quite a little bit. There's a gap in understanding between the people who are experiencing poverty. We have we have stereotypes and assumptions we make about them. Um, and between kind of the haves and the have-nots, if you will, is the simplest way to put it. This education, this workshop is designed to help people understand uh, some of the things that are real and some of the things that aren't about poverty so that we can serve better. We did it a couple of times before COVID in a very good feedback from people said, I never, I never realized this about people who are experiencing this stuff. So it's very, so, so some community education stuff, but it's all centered around helping and, and, um, and advancing the kingdom. So that's all I wanted to say about CAP. I'll be around in the back for a little while. There, I have a, a little thing up on the counter back there, and this has been a really quick, quick summary. There, we touch, I mean, it's not the best word to use anymore, but we, in some way or another, we impact 3,000 people in our community. And if you, if you pay attention to community data like I, like, like I do, um, there's about 5,000 people. Blaine Birch Bay Custer is about 20,000 people. And out of that 20,000 people, about six of them fall within, by kind of government definition, either below the poverty line or they've got some other factor in their life that might put them in into that category. <clears throat> so that's that's quite a bit, six thousand people, and and we we interact with about three thousand. We do something that that impacts about three thousand of those people. So we feel like we are doing what we're supposed to be doing in the community. The number of people that we serve and um, um, is is what you would expect with this kind of ministry and this kind of help to do. So it's not like we got tons, and there, I mean, there, there's other people we could help, but it's not like we have tons of them uh, out there. We're not completely underserved. Okay, so uh, now I want to just share a couple of thoughts about the new adventure you guys are gonna be on. And um, like I, I, I mentioned to you, I've I've been uh, involved with ministry for many many years here in Blaine, <clears throat> and uh, uh, just two thoughts. The first one is, I mean, it's just so wonderful what you're doing. It's just it's absolutely amazing what you're doing. But I want to give you some some confidence that you you might be you might be alone in what what you, what you're trying to figure out and what you're going to do. But you haven't been alone in what God has been doing in the city. And I, I just, I just want to share a, a story with you. As I was part of a, a group of believers in, the, in town who gathered together to try and, and figure out how to run the last porn store out of Blaine. And for those of you who might be new in the community, you don't know the fact that back in the in the 60s and 70s and 80s, Blaine was known as the Tijuana of the North. There was a lot of grief that was perpetuated in, in, downtown, in downtown Blaine. And at, towards the tail end of that, the last porn store that was, that was operating 
was where the hole in the ground is just south of the H Street Plaza. If you know where the H Street Plaza is by the oyster place there, if you go just to the south of that, there's a hole in the ground, and that's where this building used to be. Originally, it was a, it was a butcher shop, but then for about almost 20 years, it was this porn shop. The building was a mess, and um, uh, it wasn't good for anything else, but the sign of decay in a city is where there's porn shops. Where I used to, where I used to work, Oftentimes we'd have engineers that would transfer into our plant and they would be looking for a place to live and I'd tell them, we ought to try Blaine, it's a nice little community. They, they go up and Blaine and say, there's no way we're gonna live there. You got, you got, you've got two movie theaters and you've got three bookstores. So that's a sign of decay where every place else that we, that we are from. So I'm, we're not gonna, sorry we're not gonna move there. It might be a, it might be a nice town. So anyway, the, this this group of believers, we, we, me, specifically me and another pastor, went into the place to talk to the owner to see if there was any way that he'd be willing to close up shop. We felt like he wasn't doing a very robust business anyway, and um, maybe we could just convince him to shut down, that that to bless the town by not doing that anymore. So I go into the we go into the building. And there's a, you, you could, you could, you could, I could feel the spiritual presence of darkness there. Just almost, it almost blew me back. But we went in there and the owner of the place was there. And there, there was a, in the middle of the room, there was an elevated platform, maybe a little higher in this. And on, on that was an, an overstuffed chair and he was sitting in it. And the image that came was the demonic presence sitting on his throne. The spiritual power of all this grief, the spiritual power of grief was sitting there right, right in the center of town. That particular building is literally right in the center, in, in the center of town. So it wasn't so much the man himself, it was what was going on there, the amount of grief. I actually used to go to church with a woman who, whose husband subjected her to a lot of grief inside that building. But in any case, so we approached the guy and we, had a, we actually had a good conversation. He said, we asked, we asked him a question, is there any way that we can convince you to shut this place down? He said, absolutely. He said, all you have to do is come up with $150,000, buy me out, and I'll, I'll leave tomorrow. You can have the whole works. He says, but you have to buy all my inventory. And at that time, about 75,000 of what he's asking was porn inventory. <clears throat> so we were, we, were, we were dumbfounded that it was, it was actually that, the offer was that, that simple. But when we left, though, we were disheartened because we knew that there was no way that we could go back to the churches and say, donate us $150,000 to burn up. Um, so we, we were just, we knew that at the time there was enough people who had still favored that kind of business that we knew that we probably, we couldn't do that. So what, were we, what would we do? So we went back and we realized, we, we said, we just need, to pray. It's not going to be by might, it's not going to be by power, but it's going to be by our spirit, says the Lord. <laughs> that is how this is going to, to leave this town. So 30 years ago, a group of people started praying. Not only that that would go away, and it, it did Bill Elfo when he was a police chief, he found a way to start corralling that and eventually it was gone. But that also started the town because there was a lot of holes in the ground. There still is a lot of holes in the ground. That started the town on a journey to wholesomeness. So it went from beer parlors and porn and gambling, which unfortunately went to all kinds of other places, but at least it wasn't centered in Blaine. It went to a milk and mail and package and gasoline, which are far more wholesome than what was there before. Plus, other businesses that moved into town that 
you know, all the food businesses are, are, are so much more wholesome in my mind. Uh, so the transformation of the town has, be, has begun. And all this 30 years, gradually, gradually, gradually. And, and now, the opportunity. for the king to be on his throne right in the middle right in the middle of town that's never happened in this community in the 130 years you can see old churches around in the 130 years of Blaine's history never has the king's throne been downtown so I'm not here to tell you what to do. <laughs> I have every confidence that the Holy Spirit and you, you guys, will, f will f know exactly what it is you're going to be about down there. But I tell you, it's just people have gone before you to pray, to help pray this in. Um, so don't feel like you're, you're alone in what you're doing. And then the final thing I want to say about it, and this is where the chaplain piece comes in. <laughs> One of the things that I do, um, um, I bring my, the, I, go to Blaine, I go to Blaine Christian Fellowship, and I, <clears throat> I bring my daughter in, in to work on Sunday mornings. <clears throat> and an hour, hour early before we need to be at church, and then my, my wife comes and meets me there. But in that hour, I, I come and I drop her off at 9.15, and I spend an hour driving around town or walking around town, praying. I go down to the harbor. I go up to Peace Arch Park and, and around. And oftentimes, I'll go have a cup of coffee, you know, either at Starbucks or Peace Arch City. So while the rest of you are in church, because you guys start pretty early, I'm, I'm viewing what Sunday morning looks like in downtown Blaine, and I've been doing that for the last seven or eight years. I watch, and I'm, I'm watching who it is that's, that's downtown at the time that you're going to be meeting. And um, just a couple of, of observations I've had. So one of the things that I see is people that live, in the, live here in the community are walking, they're out walking, especially if it's a pleasant day. Those people are going to be walking past your building all the time. People from the community are going to be are going to be encountering you, however, whatever it looks like. Uh, hopefully, you're not going to have all the windows papered over so nobody can see in there. But um, I'm not going to tell you what to do. <laughs> uh, uh, and. <laughs> So they're, they're going to be local people out walking, walking and they're going to be wondering what's, what's happening here. They'll be curious about what you're up to. And then there are going to be people who uh, maybe have spent the, the weekend at Semiamu and they've, they've checked out and they're coming over to the Blaine side, this side, to um, have breakfast and, and they're walking around checking out the town. And then there are other people who are just plain visiting, passing through, um, our neighbors to the north, quite quite a quite a few of them. It's it, I don't want to call it a pit stop, but they but they coffee up and whatever else they have to do. They're going to be some of them are going to be walking right past you, or, or driving right past you, and they're going to be wondering what's going on. And then there's going to be some unhoused people, people in desperate need that are going to be walking past you. And then there's going to be some of these refugees that are, pat are walking past you. Because what happens now is if they encounter, like if they go into Starbucks or if they go into Peace Arch City, Montes, and, they, and they, they, they ask for some help or some assistance, what happens is somebody ends up calling me saying, especially on Saturday and Sunday, uh, calling me, says, is there any way that you can help? And then guess what I do? I call Monique, and I call Amy, and say, you want to go on down there and see if there's anything we can do for those, for those people? So those, are, those, those people are going to be walking past your place. And I know that once you're down there, other businesses, when they encounter folks like that, 
and they ask for help, they're going to say, well, we can't help you, but I, there's a church right down the street. Maybe they can. So I expect that you're going to see, a, a, and this is all going to be good. This is all going to be good. You're going to see, you're going to see the curious. You're going to see people who have, if, if you don't paper over all your windows, are going to be looking inside a church that maybe they've never seen the inside of a church in their entire life. They've never maybe been in a church for who knows how long. And your church is going to be different than maybe a lot of people's church experience is. Um, so you're, you're going to be encountering all kinds of these people. And I've, I know they're, they're down there. They're down there right now as we're, as we're, as we're talking. And, and so um, the offer I have for you is uh, Monique and Amy aren't going to be able to do it all. And uh, the offer I have for you is um, if, you are, if any of you are interested in becoming a champ, chaplain, as part of your church and part of you be part of CAP under, under us, um, so that you could be equipped a little a little more in in dealing with these situations. Uh, we we there is an online program that we we use that actually Amy went through it. Um, the bridge down in Birch Bay has a nice chaplain program, but that's a, a longer term and that's designed for people who who want to be in full time chaplaincy. Um, ministry, and you and I'm not talking about our our volunteers are not, but we are available to a great extent. And I, I'm not worried about your theology. Tyler has to worry about your theology. What I'm what I'm offering is equipping you with basic skill set for you to be able to maneuver as a chaplain um, in your new space down there. The people that you're going to encounter. We we so we would we would pay for for the program a completed program it's three hundred and twenty five dollars and so that offers open to you guys and it's it's kind of unique to, to where you're gonna be does that sound okay Monique <laughs> all right with that I will I will finish it oh I I, I just want to pray for you can I can I do that <clears throat> Father God I just I just ask, Lord, your blessing on, this, on these people, Lord. Bless them. Bless their hearts. Bless their efforts, Lord. You are going to meet with them. You are going to teach them. You are going to anoint them. You're going to appoint them. And Lord, I'm just so grateful that, that you've chosen them to, to do this in downtown Blaine. Lord, I just pray that your grace will abound. Lord, that even those whose ears might be ticked a little bit about, about um, reaching out and broader in ministry, Lord, I pray that you will just bless them. Bless all of these folks, Lord, and their efforts. In your precious name, Lord, amen.